This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Nine one one emergency. Um, yeah, I'm on the corner of Tamarack and Leonard, and I don't know if these are undercover officers that are on top of this man, but this man is screaming, call the police, call the police. So I don't know what's going on, but I just wanted to call because they're beating him up. Like, they're literally assaulting him. What, what makes you think that they're police officers? Well, one of them has a thing around his neck. They're, oh, my God, they're pounding him in the head. Get my other phone out and video this. I want to tell you a story about a student. Someone perhaps just like yourself or someone you know. It is yet another story about police brutality and police misconduct. They're literally just pounding him in the head. You need to get some officers over here right now. Coming up on this week's episode, we'll tell you the story of James King, another American citizen fighting to hold the police accountable after a brutal assault in Michigan. And we'll chat to former NFL star and Super Bowl champion Anquan Bolden about why he's joined the fight to abolish qualified immunity. But before that, Ben and I want to take a moment to remember George Floyd. Today, May 25th, 2021, marks one year since George Floyd was murdered by former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. As we mark this anniversary, Ben and I think it's important we all rededicate ourselves to the fight for meaningful police reform. And that means abolishing qualified immunity, which is one of the major reasons it's so hard to hold police accountable. Al and I are grateful that you're here listening to this podcast, especially on this solemn day. Together, we know we can make a difference. We have to make a difference. Thank you. On a warm July afternoon in 2014, James King was walking to work in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where he was a student at the local college. Well, I remember most of the day quite well because it was a regular day for me. I went to work uh, and I was walking there and calling my sister at the time. That's when two men wearing street clothes approached James and asked him to stop. In about five seconds of talking to these guys, I knew that something very weird was happening or about to happen. They asked me who I was, and I said, James. And they said, is that your real name? And then one guy stepped behind me and sort of broadened his shoulders. And then the other guy asked if I had my wallet on me. And I said no, uh, which was not the truth. I didn't think that was any of their business. And then the other guy behind me said, oh, really? Then what's this? And he reached into my back pocket and took my wallet. That was the moment where I thought I was being mugged. 
So I immediately began to run and was ultimately tackled and beaten pretty severely in short order. 911 emergency. Oh, yeah, I'm on the corner of Tamarack and Leonard, and I don't know if these are undercover officers that are on top of this man, but this man is screaming, call the police, call the police. Bystanders who were watching what happened called 911, and they said they thought they were witnessing a mugging or someone being killed and asked for police to show up. That's James's lawyer, Patrick Giacomo. But as it turned out, these two were not just muggers. They weren't random men on the street. They were undercover, plainclothes, police detective, and an FBI agent who were looking for a wanted fugitive who had committed a petty crime in the area. And they simply misidentified James as that petty fugitive. I fought like hell to get out of there. I wasn't trying to inflict any harm, but I was trying my best to leave. But they put me in a chokehold. I blacked out. I was punched in the head repeatedly. The big moment for me that kind of shook me to my core, even after being concussed and blacked out and beaten, was when the police arrived, I was initially so relieved. No, he's not all right. They were pounding him in the head. I thought once the police showed up, this is all going to be over. I'm safe. But much to my surprise, they arrested me, put me in handcuffs. James was arrested and put in the back of an ambulance. He was taken to a local hospital where he was handcuffed to his bed and charged with multiple felonies, including assaulting an officer, resisting arrest, and fleeing a crime scene. Still, James was lucky to be alive. My trial attorney said, James, okay, tell me from the top, tell me everything that happened. And I told him the story, much like I told you. And he looked at me right in the eyes and he said, James, if you were black, they would have killed you. And I knew that he meant it. And I was 21 at the time. And that was very eye-opening for me and very scary because I knew that he was telling the truth. The officers who never identified themselves had no cause to stop James. They therefore had no reason to arrest him when, believing he was being mugged, he ran away. Still, a judge arraigned James on four felony counts and set his bail at $50,000. I did not understand what that meant. I I had no idea what that entailed. But I knew for a fact that I didn't have $50,000, and I knew for a fact neither did my family. Hello, this is a prepaid collect call from... James. An inmate at Kent County Correctional Facility. Now, when I had to call my dad, I was in tears and crying. I said, I don't know what happened. I don't understand what's happening right now, but we're in big trouble. I might be in here for a long time. Hello. Hey, we're getting... Screwed. I'm going to prison. No, I don't think that. We're going to get a bondsman and get you out of there. It's 50000 I know. I think my dad was really tore up on the inside, but he just he held it together for me and said, James, don't worry. We're going to figure this out. I'll be down there as soon as I can. And he was able to get a bondsman that was able to bail me out on his behalf. Do you have a lawyer? They said I don't have a lawyer on file. I know. We haven't retained a lawyer yet. We're going to. He withdrew his retirement plan to, to get me out of jail. This is bad. This is really bad. I know. Can't believe it. I don't know. We're going to do something. Thank you for using Securus. Goodbye. A few hours earlier, James had been walking down the street, phoning his sister on his way to work. Now he found himself facing significant jail time even though he had done nothing illegal. And I think it's important to note here, 
that I don't have to use language like allegedly illegal or reportedly assaulted, as you so often hear in these kinds of stories, because the facts in James's case are not in dispute. And that's because James refused to take a plea deal and instead let the case go to trial, where he took the witness stand in his own defense. I had sort of in that courtroom made my peace with the fact that I would spend some time in jail or prison for a crime that I didn't commit, which is a terrifying thought to have to live with as a kid, right? I remember writing in my notebook, like, here's the things I'll focus on while I'm in jail. I'll read these books. You know, I'll do these things. I'll write letters. Even now, you know, nearly seven years later, as I begin this recording, I find myself, my, my anxiety and my heart rate just going through the roof. And, and I ask myself, why? You know, I, I have told this story so many times now. It has been years. But in so many little ways, this has affected my life ever since then. A jury found James not guilty on all counts, clearing him of any wrongdoing. Now free from criminal charges, James decided to hold the police officer and federal agent accountable by suing them for violating his constitutional rights in civil court. But, as happens so many times in instances of police misconduct, the officers moved to have the case against them dismissed based on qualified immunity. James has been in limbo ever since. So this summer will be the seventh anniversary of James's beating, and we filed this lawsuit in 2016. Again, James's lawyer, Patrick Giacomo. It shows you the double standards that apply because when the police accused James of doing something wrong, they had a trial and it was over within nine months. James turns around and accuses the police of doing something wrong, and it's been five years fighting over whether he can even get inside of an actual courtroom and say what happened to him and have a jury decide whether it was unconstitutional. It's horrible. It makes me feel like the system is rigged against me and against the citizens of this country. It makes me feel like the legislation is not up to par with the freedoms that we supposedly have in this country. And it makes me feel like I was a victim with no recourse. I should be able to ask a court, did the officers violate my rights? But because of qualified immunity, I'm not allowed to ask that. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Unaccountable with me, Aloe Black. And me, Ben Cohen. Before the break, we told you the story of James King, who was brutally assaulted by the police. James is still trying to get justice, and qualified immunity is denying him his day in court. But by telling you these difficult stories, we hope you'll join our fight for police reform and help us to end qualified immunity. Because the only way we're going to be able to do it is with your help. We're joined now by former NFL star and social activist Anquan Bolden, who's part of the campaign to end qualified immunity. Anquan, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Anquan, can you tell us a little bit about your personal story? Yes. Um, you know, I, I joined this fight uh, a couple of years ago. Um, unfortunately, I had an a incident happened with, with a family member of mine, my cousin, Corey, Corey Jones, who was actually a drummer in a band. One night he went out and played a gig and on his way home from the gig, he broke down on the side of the road down here in Florida. And he ended up calling roadside assistance. Thank you for calling AT&T roadside assistance. This is Maddie. May I have your mobile number to better assist you? And while he was on the phone with roadside assistance, an undercover officer pulled up on him in an unmarked vehicle. The officer had on a baseball cap, 
a t-shirt and some jeans. And he rolled up on my cousin in a white van and he asked my cousin, was everything okay? And my cousin, you know, responded, yes, I'm fine. Just broke down. I'm on the phone with roadside assistance. So everything is cool. And then the officer goes, really? And then my cousin was like, yeah, like, you know, I just told you I broke down on the side of the road. Like, I'm okay. And then he says it once more, like, really, like real condescending. And then all you hear after that is three shots ring out. Oh, my gosh. And then you hear the lady on roadside assistance on the other end say, oh, my God. The crazy part about it is like these these things happen in the USA. And I think the only reason my family was able to get justice is because what they didn't know was that roadside assistance was recording the call. And every time you have a police involved shooting that happens, the officer doesn't have to give a statement right away. He has, I think, a 48-hour period. He has a chance to review the evidence and everything before he makes a statement. Well, this officer was so arrogant that he felt like I can get away with it regardless. So a couple of hours after the incident happened, they asked him, did he want to do a reenactment of what had just taken place of the shooting? And he said, yes, I can do it. I'm fine. One of his superiors tried to tell him, like, no, look, you don't have to do this right now. Like, just wait. He says, no, I'm fine. You know, and he does the reenactment. They're, they're videoing the reenactment and everything. But when the recording came out, his reenactment didn't line up with the recording. And it was completely contrary to what his reenactment was. And I think for my family, that was the only saving grace that we had in court. Because, I mean, we know nine times out of ten, if you have an officer involved shooting, the officer is the one who's alive. And now you have to prove, you know, that the officer was in the wrong. And the only person that can prove that was the, the person that's deceased. And most likely in the court of law, people are going to believe law enforcement officers. But like I said, my my family was able to get justice in, in the form of, you know, the officer was tried. He was convicted and he got sentenced. But as soon we soon later found out that he was the first officer who was involved in an on-duty shooting to be convicted in the last 30 years in Florida. And not only do families not get justice in court, some families don't even get their day in court. I want to I want to send you my condolences. I know you've spent a lot of time uh, dealing with the loss in your family. But I also want to ask you, why do you feel it's important to hold police accountable for their actions? That's a great question because, you know, a lot of times people think that, you know, when you're trying to end qualified immunity, you're trying to pick on police or you're trying to, you know, single them out. But I think, you know, accountability is should be for everyone, not just law enforcement. But I also think that, you know, when we hold law enforcement accountable, we get to see what we truly want. We get to see the police and the community working together, right? And like, if if we don't hold police accountable, number one, there's a fear in the community of law enforcement. And I, I see it all the time in the black community. Anytime you see somebody in a black community get stopped, you don't know how that is going to end. I mean, I, I 
I've had to have the conversation with my 16-year-old son about what to do if you get stopped by a police officer. And that's a real concern in a black household. Not only just what do you do if you're pulled over while you're driving, but what do you do if, you know, the police is called on you, period. We don't know how that interaction is going to end. We don't know if the person that came in contact with law enforcement is going to be alive at the end of that interaction. I don't know that if my son goes out to school and he gets stopped by the police, I don't know if he's coming back home. And like, that's a real, real fear in a black household. You know what I'm saying? So like, it's imperative that we hold law enforcement accountable. So many times people will say, well, the person that the police shot wouldn't have gotten killed if they had just listened to the police officer's orders and directions. What do you say to that? That's crazy. Given given the story you just told. Right. I, I won't even I won't even use my cousin's um, story because, number one, my cousin didn't need to know this was a cop. The officer never identified himself as a police officer, so on and so forth. But here's the thing. Right. Say I get stopped by the police officer. Right. And I, and I have a. I have an argument with the police about why he pulled me over. Right. And the only thing they people will say, well, if you would have just gave me your license, if you would have just did this. If I don't give somebody my license, should that result in a death sentence? If I steal a, a candy bar out of the store, should that result in a death sentence? Because flip the script, I've seen people who have just killed other people who come in contact with law enforcement and they still walk away with, with their lives. So how can you tell me, me resisting a traffic ticket or me stealing a candy bar at the store or me selling loose cigarettes at a corner store results in me losing my life? That makes absolutely no sense at all. It, it does make no sense. And I just wanted for for you from your perspective to be able to share with us why when people say just obey the police and follow their orders, it does not work in a situation when you're black and the police officer is wielding their power and potentially has racist tendencies. Even if they don't have racist tendencies, imagine if it's a black officer, just the, the idea that they have this power is ultimately what gives them the complex that they can do anything without being held accountable. And so you can be completely compliant. You can give the police officer your identification. You can obey every order of the police officer and still end up in a situation where they will abuse their power. And, and I agree with that. And I, and I think we have to set the precedence in this country that no one is above the law. No matter if, if that person is the one who's supposed to carry out, you know, the law, even if it, it is a police officer who breaks the law, we have to set the precedence that, look, no one is above the law. And I think if we had that attitude in this country, you would see the community more willing to work with police officers. You know, I'm an employer. I hold my people accountable. If you don't have accountability, you don't have nothing. I mean, 
If you say, well, you need to perform this job in a particular way, and then they don't perform it in that way, and then you don't hold them accountable, you know, it's like, well, I didn't really mean it. I mean, there was recently in New York City, a law passed that overturned qualified immunity. And the first thing that happened was that the police union lawyers sent a letter to all the cops saying, oh, you better abide by the law now or you're going to get taken to court and you're going to be liable. Is that right? Does, I haven't seen that letter. Yeah, yeah. Is it out on the internet? I'm looking forward to, to posting that. It's yeah, it's everywhere. It's it's there. So you know, early last year in the movement for Black Lives protests, I had some conversations with police officers. One is Joe Estid, an ex police officer, and and actually he was a he was a vice president of a of a police union in New Jersey. He is adamant that qualified immunity has to be overturned and ended in order for there to be accountability within the culture of policing. And then I spoke to a police chief of Castle Rock uh, Police Department in Colorado. His name is Jack Cawley. He was a bit hesitant and tentative about ending qualified immunity. He felt that if we end qualified immunity, there will be a mass exodus of police from the force and that it would uh, disincentivize police officers from joining the police force. Well, uh, a day after I spoke to that police chief, the state of Colorado abolished qualified immunity. So I emailed him uh, a few weeks ago to find out how this new law would be affecting the police force. And he said that nothing had changed. Ending qualified immunity in Colorado did not result in a mass exodus of police from the force, and it did not deter new would-be candidates from joining the force. Yeah, I, I would just say to that, you know, if there's any any state where qualified immunity is passed and you have officers who begin to resign, those are the guys that you didn't want on the force anyways, because those are the guys that really don't abide by the rules and abuse the power that has been given to them. Qualified immunity, most people say, well, if, if you pass qualified immunity, it's just open season on law enforcement. Well, that's not true. Number one, there's other protections that law enforcement has besides qualified immunity that protects them, right? Qualified immunity just, just holds them accountable. I don't know about anybody else, but I would love to, to, to be in a place or work alongside of someone who is, number one, holding me accountable and me holding them accountable. I played in the NFL for 14 years, and the thing that we did not want on our team is somebody we could not rely on. If I can't rely on you as a coworker or me as a coach having a player, I'm not going to play you. And you will always hear that in the NFL. If I can't trust you, I'm not playing you. If I can't trust you, you will never see the field. That same mindset should be had within law enforcement. If I can't trust you, I don't need you on my streets talking about policing a community. If I can't trust you, I don't need you doing traffic stops. If I can't trust you, I don't want you on my force, period. And that's the mindset that we have to have. I don't, wanna, I don't want to work alongside of someone that I can't trust, someone who I know is a wild card. I don't know what I'm getting from him from one day to the next. 
Like if you look at Derek Chauvin, it baffles me that a guy can have 18 priors complaints on his on his record, but yet and still you feel comfortable enough having him on your force. If I let a guy get away with something 18 times, three of those being shootings, if I allow a person to get away with something 18 times, what am I telling him? I'm enforcing to him that you are above the law, no matter what happens, no matter what you do. If I try to punch in the clock at my job, right? Say I work at a grocery store, whatever it is. You think they're going to allow me to be late 18 times? You think they're going to allow me to cuss out a customer 18 times? At most places, you get that one complaint about you cussing out a customer or something like that, and you're done. You're not going to get a third or fourth chance, let alone the 18th chance. Why is it everywhere else in America that we can have this accountability piece except within the law enforcement community. When you think about professionals, lawyers, doctors, there's a standard of accountability and a measure of quality of service that is required. And there is a system that will strip them of their certification if they are not abiding by the system. So, you know, for police to have that measure of accountability is all we are asking why, by ending qualified immunity. Police are the only members of our society that we give the privilege of using lethal force in our name. They need to be held to a higher standard of accountability than anybody else, not a lower standard. And just to give an update on where we're at with qualified immunity, we need our senators to vote on the Justice and Policing Act now so that we can sign these changes into law. Well, the issue is that the Senate is currently negotiating the language of the law. And essentially, the police and the Republicans are saying, oh, yeah, you can change whatever training you want or change whatever rules and regulations, but do not hold us accountable. They are holding up this law based on the qualified immunity provision, that the law overturns qualified immunity. And it's Tim Scott who's saying that, well, our constituency is the police. And the police, they don't want to be held accountable. They don't want us to overturn qualified immunity. So we are digging in our heels and we are dead set against this provision for cops to be held personally responsible for violating people's constitutional rights, violating people's civil rights. So the best case scenario is that the House has already passed the Justice and Policing Act, that the Senate figure out a way to get enough votes to pass it. And that's what our job is. The compromise that they're talking about right now is that a police officer would never be held personally responsible, but they would hold the municipality that the police officer works for responsible. And that doesn't solve the problem of incentivizing police not to break the law. We need to get the voice of senators' constituents 
heard right now because now is when they're negotiating what the law is going to say. This is kind of the most important part. And if your voice is ever going to count, this is that very moment. Once you're done listening to this podcast, make sure you share it on social media using the hashtag unaccountable. It's time for our voices to be heard, both in court and in Congress. To join the campaign, go to holdcopsaccountable.org and stay up to date with the latest on the fight to abolish qualified immunity. And we also need you to call your senator now because the Senate is in negotiations on this bill as we speak. Tell them you want them to vote to abolish qualified immunity and hold the police accountable. Call the United States Capitol switchboard on 202-224-3121. Just tell them where you live and they'll connect you to your Senate office. This is a Crowd Network podcast presented by me, Aloe Black, and my co-host, Ben Cohen. It was produced by Luis Gwilliam and Michael Epstein and edited by Mickey Curling.